Thank you, Helen. Father, today we would ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive and to understand your word more deeply than ever before, and that we might become, become more like Jesus. In his name we pray today. Amen. Who's your hero? You got a hero? A role model? Someone you want to follow after? Jesus? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. I think that's a good role model to have. Back in 1965, I had a role model. I used to watch TV, black and white. Daniel Boone. Remember him? Daniel Boone was a man and a real man. Yeah? I like an eagle. Tall as a mountain was he. You remember that? Oh, yeah. That's what I wanted to be like, Daniel Boone. And I wanted to wear one of those hats. Oh, I was always looking at the neighbor's cats going like, oh, yeah. Yeah. But my mother frowned on me when I looked at the neighbor's cats like that way because we had cats too, but well, no, they're ours. But I want to talk a bit about role models today and, and, and actually what is a Christian supposed to look like? You know, are we supposed to wear a funny hat like Daniel Boone? No, I don't think so either. But what is a Christian meant to look like, a real Christian? Well, in his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul, he writes about what a real Christian is supposed to look like. In the beginning of chapter 2, he's shown us that a Christian is meant to be a person full of compassion and sympathy, not looking after their own interests, but also the interests of others. And of course, he gives Jesus as the supreme role model for each one of us. And as we look at Jesus, we understand really what it means to consider others better than ourselves. Because Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, he's the one who, who humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant, becoming obedient unto death on the cross. Our Lord Jesus is the Christian's role model, of course. And model Christians could become like Jesus. Why? Because God was at work in them. And Paul tells us about that. He enables them to do his will. And he continues to enable us to do the will of God. If they want to live for others, he would enable them to do so. But the question then, of course, is, does anyone actually do this? Who really is like Jesus? Have you ever met somebody like that? Well, Paul goes on in these verses to speak of two men who lived out in practice, what does it mean? to be like Jesus two model Christians one his name was Timothy Timothy by the way means honouring God and the other one his name was Epaphroditus that means agreeable and handsome I think girls that's not a bad sort of description for the bloke in your life honours God and he's agreeable and handsome what do you reckon let's see them with eyes of faith huh? yeah let's have a look first of all Timothy though this morning Timothy, he's, he's a role model for other Christians. Paul, Paul wrote to the Philippians that he was hoping to send Timothy back to them soon. And they would be encouraged by his visit and he'd be able to report back to Paul how they were doing in the Lord. So Paul would be cheered by the news of them. And he, would, and he lists Timothy's wonderful characteristics. In, t in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. That's interesting. Genuine. That means he's not a hypocrite. He was the real deal. It's not forced. It's not artificial. This came from Timothy's heart. When you met Timothy, you knew you were looking at a man who's being like Jesus. 
Now, how did he get that way? Well, first of all, he's born again. Unless you're born again, there is no way you're going to be like Jesus. You can try as hard as you want, but if you do it in your own strength, you're not going to do it. You must be born again. You must have the Holy Spirit on the inside, the Spirit of God, because the Spirit of God is the one who transforms us and gives us that ability to care for others. So Timothy had a genuine care for others, and he was seeking the interests of others. It tells us here in verse 21 that Timothy willingly placed himself in danger. He placed himself in danger by being near Paul, by working with the Apostle Paul. He was near Paul when he was in prison and helped him there. He thought of Paul's interests and the interests of the whole church. He wasn't just thinking of himself. Let me read verse 21. It's a fascinating verse. It says, For everyone, how many? For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But, and then he talks about Timothy. What a sad generalization, though, to make of the church. Everyone's looking out after their own interests, says Paul. That was the general attitude amongst the Christians in those days. These are born again, spirit filled people, seemingly. Yet they're looking at their own interests. That's a bit sad, isn't it? They put themselves first. They put Jesus and his work second. Timothy was different, however. He has an incredible record. Have a look at verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. That's interesting here. There's no professional jealousy happening here. Timothy is actually happy to work with Paul and to actually take second place to Paul. It's like Paul is the master, Timothy is the apprentice. Isn't that very different to work situations we have these days? I mean, what do we want to do these days? You, know, you want to get to the top of the heap, don't you? There's no dog-eat-dog syndrome here like we have in this modern world. Timothy is willing to take second place in his desire to serve God. And it's a wonderful thing. He has a, Timothy and Paul they have a father-son relationship with one another. Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. And he worked with Paul. And like I said a moment ago, he worked as a master with an apprentice. Which is what fathers used to do in the old days anyway. They'd take their sons into the business with them and they'd teach them how to do it. The master is working hard and the apprentice follows suit. I wonder if... You know, if we, if we just think about this in, our, in terms of our modern society these days, so many people have, have so much stress and illness because why? They're trying so hard to get to the top of the heap. And we become people that are, are driven to succeed. I've got to do this. I've got to be the best. I've got to do better than you. I want your job. <laughs> I remember going for an interview one time and the guy that was interviewing me said, now where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? And I said, see your seat? I didn't get that job. I don't know why. I thought I was saying the right sort of thing. You know, I'm upperly mobile. You're the employer. Well, I want to be in your seat, mate, interviewing somebody else for your job. And, but isn't it, isn't it the way we are, though? We, we, feel, like, we feel like failures if we, we don't get to the top of the heap. But what's better, to, to be at the top of the heap or to be in the middle of God's will? I'd rather be in the middle of God's will than trying to struggle to the top of the heap, honestly. We aren't meant to be a driven people. We're meant to be people who are led by the Holy Spirit. That's the way things should be for us. We need to be walking in the center of God's plan for us. 
And that doesn't always mean that you get to the top of the heap. I thought that's the way I was supposed to be living my life. My one goal in life was to be a multi-millionaire businessman. And then God tapped me on the shoulder and rearranged everything. And here I am. Praise God. But I'd rather be in the middle of his will than struggling to get the top of the heap. I really would. But it also doesn't mean that I'm going to be lazy, right? And just do nothing at all. We need God's wisdom to be in the center of his will. And, and, and God's promise to guide us in, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. How wonderful that is to have a straight path to walk down. No deviations. Put God there. Put yourself second and let him lead you. In Timothy, we see a man who's, who's, generally, who's genuinely interested in the welfare of others and genuinely looking after the interests of Jesus. So that shows us, of course, that faith without works is dead. Timothy put his faith into action. Now, if we think we're devoted to Jesus, then we prove it by being devoted to others. That's how you know if you're devoted to Jesus. If you're devoted to Jesus, you are devoted to others. Jesus is our model, and we follow him, and he's the one who poured out his life for others. Jesus is the Christian's role model. And in Timothy, we see the model Christian. He was like Jesus. Timothy was a man. Remember Daniel Boone was a real man? Timothy was a man, a real man, a genuine man, seeking after the heart of God, devoted to others. But Paul gives us another role model here, Epaphroditus. He's the second role model. Now, Paul was about to send back to Philippi a man who'd come from the Philippians to support Paul. Let's have a look at verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. So there's a reference to someone who was, who was just like Paul. Epaphroditus, his man, he was handsome, right? Good sort of looking, looking bloke. That's what his name means. He was charming. But he was much more than charming. He was a person who excelled. He excelled in two ways, in his relationship with Paul and in his relationship with the Philippian church. So regarding what he meant to Paul, first of all, Paul called him my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Now this is a man who's alongside Paul. He's fighting the battle with Paul. Epaphroditus was no passenger sitting on the pew warming his backside. He was doing something for Jesus. He's a worker soldier. And Paul really appreciated the way that they worked together as brothers in the same spiritual warfare. How wonderful that is, to be known to be a man like that. I'd like to be a man like that too. To be known, to be standing up for Jesus and to have me working alongside other people. So that's what he meant to Paul. But regarding what he meant to the Philippians, well, he was, he was the Philippians' messenger to Paul. He was sent to minister to Paul's needs. And obviously, Epaphroditus, he put his gifts at the disposal of the local church, first of all, to the Philippian church. And they said, okay, here's what we want you to do. We want you to go and support the Apostle Paul. And they sent him to go and, visit and, and, and work with Paul. But look at his, his heart here in verse 26. It says, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. That's interesting. We don't often always feel that way to other believers, do we? That we have a longing in our heart for them, an incredible love for the people that we're working with. Epaphroditus, he really missed his friends in Philippi, and he was concerned about their concern for him because they heard he was ill. 
And indeed, the word that's used here is, is, is for he was distressed. It's the same word that was used for Jesus when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when his, his sweat is like drops of blood? He was so distressed. Epaphroditus was also distressed about the church and the way they were feeling about him. He was worried about them being worried about him because they were precious to him and he was precious to them. So there's a, there's a place for a genuine, wholesome affection between us believers and a longing for deeper fellowship. Epaphroditus shows that to us. And he was self-giving on behalf of the church. Look at verse 27 to 30. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when, when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor in men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give to me. So Epaphroditus, he was, he was giving on their behalf. He's a fine Christian servant of God. He was living close to the Apostle Paul and he was working hard. And in that process, he got sick. When I look at this scripture, I'm like, what happened to Epaphroditus? Maybe he was working too hard. That happens sometimes when you, you work your, your insides out. You end up being crook as a result of that. But it seems like Epaphroditus was trying to do the work of the whole Philippian church with Paul. You know, he says, oh, I'm, I'm their representative. I'm there on behalf of this whole congregation. I've got to do everybody's work. And he was working that hard with the Apostle Paul. He was trying to make up. He was trying to fill up completely what the whole church couldn't do. And he tried so hard, he became weak and susceptible to illness. Now, what Paul obviously did when Epaphroditus got sick was he prayed. He asked God to show mercy on Epaphroditus and heal him. And that's eventually what happened. He was. He was healed. God's answer to, to Paul's prayer is a sign of God's mercy on Paul to shield him from sorrow. I think there's a prayer lesson for us there too, really. So what we need to do is we need to focus like Paul. Here's what Paul was doing. He's praying in faith for God's mercy and grace and power to be released into Aphrodite' life. And then he prays God when it is. Well, we can do the same thing, can't we? We can focus in on God and say, Lord, release your grace, release your mercy into that person's life. And then I'm going to praise you when I see the answers to prayer. In fact, we need to be praising God even before we see the answers because we're living by faith and not by sight, aren't we? I don't want to make it long this morning. There's, there's something I want, to come, I want to come to the conclusion of this message. And we see today two fine Christian role models, actually three if you include Paul himself. There's Paul, there's Timothy, Epaphroditus. They are selfless, they are loving, they are committed to serving others, even at their own inconvenience and at great personal cost. Now, perhaps Timothy and, and Epaphroditus aren't on your, the top of your list of great Christian heroes. But people for the last over 2,000 years have known about their godly examples because it's recorded here in Scripture. And as long as there's a world, as long as there's still a Bible around, they will be known. Their names are recorded for eternity. The significance of their ministry is eternal. So how are we going to apply all this stuff to our lives today? Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, they were ministers of the gospel. They came to teach the church how to do the work of ministry. So there's an incredible application as we look at their lives and look at our lives. 
What's the focus? Is it what I can get or what I can give? Now, I've been along to a church service and someone says to me, oh, I didn't get anything out of that. Well, the question is, what did you give? Not what you can get. What can you give? Because sometimes we come with a consumer mentality rather than a ministry mentality. If we come along as ministers rather than consumers, and let's face us, who are the ministers in this church? Look around you. We all are the ministers in this church. To all of us has been given the work of reconciliation. To all of us, the ministry has been given. You can touch people I can't touch. You have families that I don't know about. You have people that you can pray about. So I'm not just the minister. We all are doing the work of ministry. And so we need to be moving from selfishness to selflessness. Right? No longer focusing on me, but focusing on others. The selfish person is living in sin. Spell sin. S-I-N. N. I is the focus, me. But the sun of righteousness rises in our hearts. Sun, S-U-N, the focus then is on you, not on I. See the change? And of course, if you then have the sun himself, Jesus, S-O-N, O stands for others. No longer looking at me, I'm looking after others. You understand? That's how the Christian is supposed to be living. No longer are we going to walk this wide path, we're going to walk the narrow path instead, following after Jesus. Indeed, the Lord told us we need to lose our lives in order to find our lives. And then we will have abundant life. And that's precisely what Timothy had. That's precisely what Epaphroditus had. They had abundant life as they sought to follow Christ, as they sought to minister to others. Now, you might be saying, oh, Martin, gee, I've got a long way to go on this particular road. Me too. But the good thing is, we're still here today. So God's not finished with us yet, is he? He's still working on each one of us. His work's not finished, and he will continue to change us and to make us more like Jesus every day as we open ourselves to the working of his spirit in our hearts. As we say, yes, Lord, I hear you today, and I'm going to be obedient to you. We make a choice. We say, yes, I want to follow after you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these wonderful men that we can look at in the scriptures. Timothy, Epaphroditus, and the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the incredible example that they set for us. And Father, we pray today that we would no longer be, be focused on I all the time. But may it be you and others that we focus on. Help us, Father, to get our eyes off ourselves and onto the need around about us and to recognize that you have given us all the resources that we do need to minister effectively. In the name of Jesus. Amen.